All right. How's everybody doing? It's like Thanksgiving and C1. That's a good thing. Yeah, good. Woo. Four of us like that. Uh, hey, uh, hey, we're going to wrap up this series that over the last like month and a half, we've been kind of, if you haven't been here, let me kind of uh, unpack this with you. We've been looking at this concept of God kind of as a, as a bounty hunter, kind of using it as a, as a metaphor. And, and here's what we've been unpacking is that it's, it, a lot of us feel this, is that God has been like hunting us, not in a bad way, but like trying to get his hands on us, pursuing us, trying to get his arms around us, but not for what a lot of us are afraid of, that God's going to try to get us and punish us, or that God's going to capture us and kind of give us what we have coming. Actually, if you read what Jesus taught, was that God's been pursuing us for a long time, not to hurt us, but to actually set us free, set us free from things like guilt, you know, because we don't need any more guilt. What we need is a way to get rid of some of it, get rid of the condemnation, and, 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 and free us from carrying around the weight of our past. Because we're looking for, and this is what Jesus said he came to give us, we're looking for a better life. And Jesus said, I came so you can have a better life, an abundant life. And through this whole series, we've been kind of studying the guy, this, name, this guy named Paul, uh, who wrote a big chunk of the Bible. But at the parts that he wrote, he told his story a lot. And, and, he, and he described himself as, I'm the worst sinner ever. And then as you, if you read there, if, you, if you've been listening to the story of, of Paul, it's been kind of like this, is that I, I was the worst sinner ever. And then Jesus changed me. I mean, dramatically. I, I used to be a bounty hunter, all right? I spent my life destroying people and hurting people. And then Jesus changed some things in my life. And I be, if, if you read his story, he became, other than Jesus himself, Paul is probably responsible for more people in the world becoming Christians than anybody else in history. And if you were to ask Paul, Paul, how did your life change? I mean, that big. We all have little changes, but how did your life dramatically, 180 degrees change? He would boil it down to one word. He would look at you and he'd say, it's grace. Grace changed my life. This is how he said it. I'm gonna, he wrote this to, to some people living in a little town called Ephesus, but, but I'm going to change the pronouns a little bit. It doesn't change the meaning. I'm just going to personalize it. If you were to ask Paul, how did your life change? He would say this, for it is by grace that I have been saved. It's by grace that I was saved. That's how I got connected back to God. That's how I got forgiveness, this, this thing called grace. Through faith. What do you mean, Paul? What do you mean by faith? I, I'm leaning my life against Jesus and what he did for me. I'm trusting in what he did for me that I couldn't do for myself. So I, I'm saved by grace through faith. And this isn't from myself. I didn't save myself. None of us can save ourselves. It's, it's the gift of God. Not by works so that I could ever try to boast. Paul's never going to say, I, I met God halfway. I did some things and then God did some things. And because of that, that's why I'm in heaven. So the heart of Paul's message over and over was this. He looks at his readers, at us, and he says, Listen, if God's willing to forgive me, the worst sinner ever then he's, he's willing to forgive anybody, everybody. Nobody's the exception to the rule. Nobody's excluded from this thing called grace. A lot of us are sitting in here going, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. Well, you're wrong. No one is the exception to grace. No one. No sin or, or mistake that you or I have ever committed is too big or too small to need God's grace and forgiveness. We all need Jesus. And the good news is, is that he's available to anybody who asks. Anybody who believes, the first week of this, a guy named Justin shared his story, and he said this, I love it, he says, with Jesus in your life, anything really is possible. And that brings us to today, all right, which I got to be honest with you, as I sat down this past Tuesday afternoon to kind of put my thoughts together for, for, to stand up here and talking to you today, I, gotta be honest, I sat at my desk and I thought, I have no idea where this thing's going to go. And a lot of you are going, does he ever? I do, I mean, it's a lot of times, but, but I, I had a lot of, I, my mind was racing, my, I had all these thoughts in my head, which is not unusual because I'm, I'm ADD and I'm on medication, it helps, but this week it didn't help. And so <laughs> I was all over the place. I don't know why, maybe it's because it's Thanksgiving and, and I love Thanksgiving, so I've been a little nostalgic, a little emotional, you know, looking back over the past year. 
Maybe I have so many things going through my head is because I've had a lot of conversations with people over the last couple, you know, the last couple of weeks. Really interesting conversations about life, about God. I've had some really interesting conversations about flat irons. I'm going to tell you about those in a minute. Maybe I'm just messed up a little bit because I just got back from spending a few days in Barakab, this little town that we're building in Afghanistan. I was there all last week. So, you know, you could write this whole message off as he has jet lag. Really, you know, or maybe, you know, he took too many drugs to help him sleep, or maybe he should take more drugs, whatever, all right? You're probably right. In any case, all week long, I've had a lump in my throat. You ever have that, those kind of weeks? If I sit still too long and let my mind drift too much, I, I get tears in my eyes, and I don't know why. Last night, I kind of cried all the way through this, but I took a mite all this morning. I think I'll be all right. <laughs> If that offends you, I, I don't care. I don't. I think it's funny. But uh, all, I know, all I know is that this morning I'm really, really, really thankful. I mean, there's moments in your life you're more thankful than other times. This morning I'm really thankful. I, I think I understand why a guy named Paul wrote this to a little church in the Middle East in a little town called Philippi. So the book's called Philippians. And he's talking to his friends and he says this. I thank my God every time I remember you. Let me say that another way. Let me just personalize it. Every time I think about you guys, I I stop and I pray and I tell God, thank you for letting me be a part of of you guys. And for that to kind of make sense, let me kind of unpack the last week with you, all right? So last Thursday, I met a girl. She took my breath away. I don't know if you believe in love at first sight, but I was like, I fell in love with this this girl. And some of you are going, oh, no. (laughs) And he married. (laughs) Yeah, and I am. I'm not going to confess some big sin or moral failure, all right? So that happened in your life. Never mind. All right, we won't talk about that. But... um, (laughs) So lastly, let me tell you, I was walking through Barakab, this little town in Afghanistan, in the middle of nowhere. And I'm walking through the school. And if you're new around here, you guys, the, this is what the money in the buckets goes for back there. Is that we built a school. We have 650 kids go there. We pay for the teachers. And girls can go to this school, which is kind of rare over there. And then we walk through the clinic that you guys built that and paid for all of that. And we have 11 doctors and nurses that go out to, their, uh, to that clinic. And all the kids in this town now have immunizations. And, and we can deliver babies and all that because one out of four babies die in childbirth. And but not in Barkov anymore. And, and then I was kind of looking at the new wall. We built this wall around the well that you guys dug that now these 650 families actually uh, have clean water. And, and, and I'm walking through this, and, and I've I got to be honest with you, this is my seventh trip in Barkov, and I, I was kind of going through the motions. Just kind of going through it like, yeah, there's that, and there's the wall, and there's the well, and there's the school. And, and in the middle of all that, our director over there, he said, uh, come here, Mr. Jim. That's, that's what they call me. And uh, they think I'm the mayor of flat irons. They really do. They don't understand church. They understand community. So he's the mayor. So anyway, so come here, Mr. Mayor. I, I want to, I want to show you the inside of one of the widow's houses that flat irons built. And again, if you're new around here, um, we took up an offering and we're building 40 houses in Barakov for widows. And there's a lot of widows in Afghanistan and also for people with disabilities that stepped on a landmine, stuff like that. So we've built like 17 houses so far. and We have about another 23 to be built. All right. So, so he says, come here, Mr. Jim. I want to show you the inside of one of these houses. And I'm like, oh, oh, that's awesome. But I've been in, I've been in a lot of them before. What I didn't realize is that God was about to hand me this talk in a, in a moment, in an instant. So, so each house, as we walked into this house, each house, and this is the house you guys pay for, right? You walk in and there's a, there's like a little entry area and then you can go to the left, there's a room and you go to the right and there's a room. So we all, our whole group kind of crowded into the first room and we looked around like, oh, this is really, really nice. And it is, it's really, it's great. There's no furniture because people just sit on the floor and lay on the floor and do everything on the floor. And so, uh, so we're like, oh, this is really, really great. And I don't want to take away from it because it is great. But then, then we went through the entryway back into the other room and I walked into that room and there she was. And I, 
that's what I said. And, uh, and I fell in love. And I, and I couldn't breathe. And I had tears running down my face. My throat closed up. You know what I'm talking about? And three thoughts in an instant went through my head. The first one is that she reminded me of my wife, Robin, a picture I saw of my wife, Robin. She was a little girl. Same brown eyes. Now he's asked why I fell in love because I'm still in love with Robin. And I can just picture Robin as a little girl playing in the dirt with her Barbies, making that face. And, uh, and the other thing is that I've never seen joy like that. I promise you, she, she smiled so big she vibrated. She went like, she saw us and she went like this. And I was like, ah, and I, I just thought to myself, this is, I promise, this is what I thought. I thought, I wonder if that's what we'll do when we see Jesus face to face for the first time. Cause I believe one day folks, we will see Jesus face to face and he'll take our breath away and we'll smile so big. We'll vibrate. You see, in that moment, I thought to myself, you know, back at Flatirons, 7,000 miles away, we talk about Jesus a lot and that's good. And we sing great songs about Jesus, but every once in a while, Jesus gives us a glimpse of what he looks like. Who he loves and what he's about. Last Thursday, I, I can't explain it. it. Just it went through my head like this: is I think Jesus was a four-year-old little girl whose dad had been killed in a war she didn't understand, whose mom wasn't there that day because she had hitched a ride to Kabul and was in the streets begging for food for her six little kids. I think Jesus is a little girl who has not eaten in a couple of days. When I saw her, I think Jesus is a little girl wrapped in a dirty brown coat that one of you guys donated three years ago. I think Jesus is a little girl who, in spite of a thousand reasons why she should not, she had so much joy that her smile literally lit up the room. And I believe if you'll look at that picture, you not only see the heart of God and the passion of God, I think you see the face of Jesus. And if you look at it long enough, he'll take your breath away. I believe that. The third thought I had in that instant was I was really thankful for you guys. As I walked around Barkov that day, I was proud to call this my church. I was, I, I walked around and my prayer was just like Paul's. Every time I think about you guys, about the people in this room today, especially when I'm away from this place, I thank God for letting me be a part of what he's doing in this church. Because listen, I love what God's doing in this church. I do. And I'm not comparing us to other churches. I'm not saying that we're better than other churches. So don't get mad about it. Some of you will, but that's not what I'm saying. I hope God's doing great things in every church in the world, but I don't go to every church in the world. I go to this one and I love it. I love what God's doing here. And that's not pride. Or at least a sinful form of it. And it's not arrogance. And I, it's actually biblical. Listen to what Paul writes. He writes in, because he can't be there. Paul writes a lot of the Bible from a prison cell. They put him in prison because he's a Christian. The same thing he used to hunt people to, to do to them. He writes this. He says this to the people that he loves. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you. If I could write this, I would. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains, whether I'm in prison, or I'm out there defending and confirming the gospel, this message about Jesus, all of you, everybody in this room, share with me, God's grace with me. In other words, we're in this together. I got reminded of that last Thursday. God can testify. In other words, God knows, God's my witness, how I long, how I miss all of you with the affection or the love of Christ Jesus. I only want to say two things today. We're going to get out here a little bit early. That's why the parking lot was manageable today, all right, is that uh, the first thing I want to say is this. I thank God for you, for, for my church. I love it. And God gets all the credit and all the praise and all the glory, but God works through people like you guys, especially people who say, yeah, God, whatever, whatever you want. You know, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. You love those people. We're going to love those people. Where you move, I'll move, even to the darkest place on the planet. I will follow you anywhere. It's just, it's just kind of awesome to know Uh, 
You see that mohawk didn't go down at all? In that? That's awesome, all right? Uh, so the first thing I want to say is this. I'm really thankful for what God has been and is doing in this place. And in our lives, my life and your life. And the second thing I, I want to say is this. I can't wait to see what God's going to do in the future. Let's go back to what Paul was writing to that, those people that he really loves. He says this, So I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your, and we're going to look at this, your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So the day I met you until today. Being confident. So Paul's saying, I'm really convinced. I, I'm, I'm depending on what I'm about to say. I'm confident of this. And this is it. Ready? That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So, so not only is Paul thankful for what God's already done in these people's lives. And if you read the rest of this book, it's only like four or five chapters long. You can read it in just a few minutes. But you find out is that, that this little church is made up mostly of poor people. But they found out there were some other people that were even poorer than them. And they, they scraped together an offering and they sent it to some people that they never met. Not because it's a rule, but because that's what you do when you love Jesus. So he says, I'm, I'm really proud of you for what you've already done. But Paul also has joy because he sees what they, and by they he means us, how we're all kind of joined together in a partnership of this thing called the gospel, this, this message of Jesus. And, and Paul is confident of this, and so am I, by the way, that what Jesus started doing in their lives and in our lives individually, and you know what I'm talking about? You say, yeah, I've, I've talked to hundreds of you in the lobby. God's really made a difference in my life. He's making a difference in my life. But also together, the difference he's making in this place together. I'm convinced he's just getting started. And he's going to make an even bigger difference in our own lives and in the world. Paul's confident of that, and so am I, that God's going to keep on working in us. Doing what only he can do, right up until the day that Jesus comes back. He's not done with us. And that's good on a couple levels, all right? Personally, it's good on a level. If if, if you're new to this whole, I'm trying to follow Jesus thing, and it's really not going well, you know what I'm talking about? As a matter of fact, I should have given you a warning last week, or Scott should have, if you get baptized, you're going to have a horrible week, right? It should come with a disclaimer, you know, get baptized, life's going to fall apart, but... Here's the thing is, if you're trying to follow Jesus and it's not going really well, the message is this. Don't quit. Don't give up yet. Why? Because what God started in you, he's going to keep on doing in you. He's just warming up. He's not finished with you. There's a lot more to come. He's going to keep on working in your life slowly, sometimes frustratingly slowly. You're like, hurry up, God, and change me, right? Again, don't give up. God's not finished on us, which I'm really grateful for because there's so much more to change. And second, it's really good at... If, if we as a community are willing to stay faithful to, this, to, to, to God and also to this partnership of this thing called the gospel, this message of Jesus, if we'll stick together, God's going to keep on using this church and this community to make an even greater difference in our own lives but also in the world. And that's what I want to look at in the few minutes I got today, all right? Is I want to look at this thing called the gospel. What, what, so what's this gospel? What's this message of Jesus? And if you're new here, let me just say it in kind of plain terms. What is it that Flatirons harps on all the time. And, and here it is. That's what I want to look at. All right? You know, I get asked this a lot, especially when I'm away. I have an opportunity to go out and speak at different places, at other churches, conferences, and I have meetings and stuff like that. And I get asked this a lot by people who don't go to Flatirons. And here's the question I get asked a lot. Like, so like, what's happening at your church? And what they really mean is this, is like, why are so many people going to your church? Like, why is Flatirons growing so, so fast? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I'll give you an example of that. Last week, I was in Dubai. I stopped in Dubai on the way home from Afghanistan. And on Monday morning, which is Sunday night here, um, I got a text message from somebody at Merge, 
which just blows my mind, is that some, somebody's over here going, hey, Jim, you know, and, and so the, the, I get this on Monday morning, and it says, hey, Jim, we had 537 baptisms at church this weekend, and I was like, wow, <laughs> and so there's a lady from Indianapolis next to me, I went, look at that, isn't God cool, and she stopped breathing, <laughs> she's like, what, what, and she, she's like, she didn't have a category for it, she's like, are, are you serious, and I know what she's thinking, are you a cult, that's exactly what she was thinking, <laughs> All right. And I don't blame her. I understand. All right. I, I wouldn't believe it if I was here and you know, if I wasn't here. I, I mean, if you're new, let me just say, if you're new to the whole church thing, or maybe this is the only church you've ever come to, and you think all churches are like this, <laughs> they are not. All right. <laughs> they are not. All right. And, and I'm not bashing churches or being arrogant about Flatiron, so you can save that email. You know who you are. All right. So I, I am, I'm as blown away as anybody else about what's happening here. I don't know how to answer it either. What God's doing at Flatirons. And why here? I, I don't know. Well, I, I think I do. I think I know. I have the answer. I figured it out, at least part of it. And I got I to tell you a story to kind of make it make sense. Okay, one day, Jesus was invited to go to this religious guy's house for dinner. Okay, if you go back to the book of Luke in the Bible, this religious guy says, hey, Jesus, come over to my house. I want to eat dinner with you. But he really didn't want to hear from Jesus. He wanted to ask questions and try to back Jesus into a corner and kind of prove that he's a fake. All right? So this question and answer thing is going on all the way through dinner. And right in the middle of dinner, this uninvited guest shows up in the middle of the dinner party. So I'm in Luke chapter 7, verse 37. It says this, all right? When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town, and just for the record, that's Bible code for she's a hooker. Okay, I don't know why Luke didn't just say, so a prostitute showed up for dinner, but he didn't, all right? When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, that's a religious guy, all right? She brought an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, I've explained this before, but let me just say it one one more time. Back, go back 2,000 years, a prostitute couldn't just take her earnings to the bank. You know, she couldn't just show up at the teller's window going, you know, there was a convention in town, it was a great weekend, put that in my 401k. She can't do that, they'll kill her. All right. So what, what, what women would do is they would earn some money, then they would take whatever money they had and they would go down to the marketplace and they would buy a, a, some oil or maybe some perfume, something that didn't spoil. And they put it, if it's really good stuff, they put it in a really fancy jar, like an alabaster jar, right? Then they would put it in storage and just put it away. And then when business wasn't good or they got older or, or, or nobody wanted her anymore, she would take that jar of perfume off, off, the, off the shelf, go back to the market, sell it, and then she had food. To, to, to buy, and she had money to, to buy food with, all right? So this jar is kind of like her, her retirement account, her savings account. Everything that she'd earned from prostitution was in this jar. Let me just get kind of symbolic. The sum total of her life was in this jar. What, so what's your life worth? About this much. Pick up the next verse. So she crashes the party. As she stood behind Jesus at his feet weeping... She began to wet his feet with her tears, okay? And again, if you've ever been in the Middle East or even the Far East, uh, this still happens. You know, you take your shoes off at the front door and you go in and the tables are really low. And you kind of lay on a cushion, all right? So this lady walks up behind him. She's crying. Tears run down her face. They drip on her feet, on Jesus' feet, okay? So, so, so she wet in her feet, his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them, her, his feet, with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, or he thought to himself, If this man were a prophet, and I don't think he is, but if this man, Jesus, were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is. She's a sinner. Now, let's be honest about this story, all right? That was probably an awkward moment for everyone in the room. 
I mean, just think about it, okay? Let's just, let's say that after church today, you know, you pack up the family, friends, and you, you go down here, you hit chilies, okay? So you're sitting there at the table, all right? Let me just talk to the men in the room. So ladies, you just have to go with me on this. And you're sitting there, and all of a sudden, a prostitute runs up to your table crying, then dives under the table and starts rubbing your feet with her hair. What do you do? Awkward. <laughs> right, right, right? Because I know I'd be like, Robin, I swear, I don't know her. I've never seen her. I... <laughs> I, 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 go away, go, yeah, I don't, I, right? Some of you going, I feel you, yeah, all right, so, um, but Jesus isn't most guys, and anyway, so this religious guy is there, and he's thinking to himself, and by the way, Jesus can hear you when you think to yourself, all right? So he's, he's sitting there, and he's thinking, I cannot believe Jesus, obviously, Jesus is a fake, because he really, really was, like, who he claims to be, and he knew what she was like, he would not let her touch him. There's no way Jesus would ever be one, one be around people like that. And again, Jesus can hear him. So Jesus answered him. He didn't ask a question. He's just Jesus going, I know what you're thinking. So here we go. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. I'm going to tell you a story. Here it is. Ready? Two men owed money to a certain money lender. So two guys owed money to a, a loan guy. One owed him 500 denarii. A denarii is a day's wage. So this guy owed the, the bank 500 days of salary. So about a year and a half's worth of salary. Okay? The other owed him about 50, so about a month and a half of salary. So one guy owes him a year and a half of, of salary. The other guy owes him a month and a half of salary. Neither of them, the 500 or the 50, had the money to pay him back. So the, the money lender canceled, and the, the word literally is forgave, the debts of both. Question, Simon. Which of them, the 50 or the 500, will love him more? And this is, no, this is a no-brainer. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. Well, you've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman who's down there on his feet, all right? He turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. This is a Middle Eastern custom, all right? When we were in Afghanistan last week, we walk in the front door, we take our shoes off. If you've been to Japan, the Orient, it's the same thing, all right? And then usually there's a bowl of water or bucket there that they provide for you to wash the grime off of your feet. You didn't even, I mean, this is basic hospitality. You haven't even shown me any of that, Simon. You did not give me a kiss. In the Middle East, that's a greeting. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't even make me feel welcome. You didn't even tell me you were glad that I was even here. You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, Simon, her many sins have been forgiven, canceled. For she loved much. In other words, that's why she's doing this. That's why she loves me. But, Simon, he who has been forgiven little... Here's my editorial comment. Or don't think they have that much that needs forgiving. Loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, and I don't know why, because Jesus can hear them. You know, who is this? Who does he think he is that forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, so he just ignores them. He says to the woman, your faith, what do you mean, faith? You know who you are, but you also know who I am. You know you've messed up in your life, but you trust me. You're willing to lean your life against me. You risk everything to be here. So your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You're forgiven. Go in peace. Now you can look at that and go, that's a nice story. And Jesus is so nice. But what does that have to do with us? 2,000 years after that happened. And, and how does that answer the question, what's God doing at Flatirons? And the answer is everything. Everything. That's, that, that, that story lines up with us so well. And here's what I mean. If you come here very often, you'll, you'll hear Scott and I say all the time, it's about truth. Jesus said the truth will set you free. The way we say it around here a lot is that there's two deals on the table. 
You can live your life this way, but Jesus says this is a better way. You get to choose. But this way is a better way. So that's the truth. But it's also about grace. What do you mean grace? It means this. This is a better way, and none of us have done it very well. All of us have messed up. We've all fallen short of what God says is better. But because God loves us, he's willing to forgive everything because of Jesus. But here's the thing is, a lot of churches are saying that all over the world. That's good, because it's true. Truth and grace. I think that one of the things that makes Flatirons different, not better, but just different, is that we're honest. I'm not saying other churches are lying or dishonest. That's, I'm not even talking about other churches. What I mean is we're honest about who we are. We know who we are. We also know who we're not. And this is what, this is what that means, all right? Jesus is perfect. Nobody else is. And even with Jesus in our life, let's be honest, we're still a mess, Right? We're forgiven. You know, we have him living in our lives and, and, and we're going to heaven. I'm, I'm not even talking about that. But we all still make mistakes. That doesn't make it okay to make mistakes. It's just reality. Again, I'm just being real. I'm just being honest. And what I think makes this place unique goes back to that dinner party that Jesus was at. See, like, like, just like that dinner party, there are religious people in the world who think that, well, if you really love God or love him more than you do, you'd clean up your act. You'd stop doing that. You know what? Maybe they're right. Yeah, maybe, maybe they're right. I mean, nobody could build a case for, in, in this case, well, prostitution is not that bad. It is. You can write that down if you're taking notes. It's, it's not good. All right? All right? Yeah, you're, you're right. All right. So, yeah, lady, you shouldn't do that. All right. You win the argument. She shouldn't do that. You're right. But they don't stop there, religious people. All right? They keep on going with, you shouldn't do things like that. And I'm sure that God doesn't want to be around, because I know I don't want to be around people who do that. So I wish you weren't here. I don't want to be around people who mess up, especially in certain areas. And if Jesus knew about you what we know about you, he wouldn't touch you. And that's where a lot of people have landed in the world. Both in church and that would never darken the doors of a church because logically, the only people invited to God's party or to God's church are religious people who have cleaned up their lives. Isn't that what kept you away for a long time? I can't go to church. I, I, I mean, I, people like, we don't go to, we don't know. I'm not allowed. But then there are, just like that dinner party, there are some of us who are painfully aware. I know I've made mistakes, right? I know I, I shouldn't do that, and I know I shouldn't keep on doing it, but I know I keep on making mistakes. I also know this, my only hope is Jesus. And maybe if I can get near him, maybe I can find out if he loves me or not, and maybe he'll forgive me. And then when they do crash the party, when they do walk through the doors of the party or flat irons and they find out that Jesus does love them, he doesn't hate them. He wants to be around them and he wants to forgive them. The response is not to slam the door in other people's faces, but to realize I have to love much. The response is I have to love much. I have to love Jesus more and I need to love other people more. Why? Because I've been forgiven for so much. Every church, every Christian, every person in this room falls into one of those two mindsets. And I think that at Flatirons, we teach the truth, but I also, and I think we teach grace, but I think one of the major things, kind of the part of the DNA of this place, kind of our mission, is that we're honest. We admit, we, we've been forgiven much, because we had a lot to be forgiven for, right? I got a long list. And because of that, I'm in no place to throw stones at anybody else, whether I agree with them or not. Instead, we have to open up the doors even wider, right? And build more seats if we have to, and say, everybody's welcome here. Because everybody is equal at the foot of the cross. And that makes for a a wonderful, messy church. 
And I wish every church was honest about their messiness, but they're not. But without apology, I love this messy place. I, I love that in the lobby, I can have, this happened to me a couple weeks ago, I can have somebody come up to me and ask me this deep theological question about a biblical truth. And in the middle of that conversation, some guy interrupts and high-fives me and says, that was effing awesome. <laughs> I love that. I don't know if I should or not, but I, I do. Some little lady came up to me last night and went, well, I think it's awesome, but I can't use that word. And I'm like, <laughs> fabulous. How about that? Said, okay, it's fabulous. All right, so uh, I love it. A few weeks ago, I had a young lady come up to me and tell me that she feels called by God to leave the United States and go overseas and work in a third world country with the poorest of the poor. And two minutes later, I had a girl from a local shelter hand me a five-page letter that she had typed to tell me her story of how she was abused and beaten and stabbed in a foster home until somebody from this church rescued her. And both girls told me, because of what Jesus is doing in their life through flat irons, I have a purpose for my life. I love that. I love it that our building is crowded. I do. I love this. All right. I'm sorry it's hard to find a seat. And you're out there in the lobby and it's cold. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I love it that our carpets um, are stained and dirty and probably a health hazard. I, I love that. Um, I, I love it. I love it. I love it that our parking lot is a log jam. I, I, and I'm sorry you got flipped off in traffic last week. You know, but the truth is you got flipped off at your last church. They just did it with the windows rolled up, smiling, saying, bless you. At Flatirons, we're just honest. We put down the window and put up the flag. And here's the answer. We shouldn't do that. So if you do that, stop it. All right. But, but it's, it's kind of who we are. And that's not right. But I love it that sitting in this room on the same row with you, you're going to find alcoholics, addicts, people who have messed up sexually, both gay and straight. You'll find liars and thieves and selfish, self-centered, greedy materialists. And that's just the Christians. <laughs> and here's the thing is, anybody who really wanted to, it's not hard. You could build a case. Well, you guys should be better than you are. And you're right. We should be. You win. But around here, at least we're honest by saying we're not yet. We're not who we should be. But we also believe that he who began a good work in us is not finished with us. And he's going to keep on working on us all the way until Jesus comes back. One time Jesus was teaching and he taught a really hard teaching. And a lot of, it was a big crowd like this. And a lot of the people have said, you know, that's what you, Jesus, is that what you want us to do? Or if that's what you're saying God is and all that, we don't want anything to do with that. And all of them but 12 left. All right, now that's a great message, all right? So a big crowd, here's the truth. Everybody but 12 guys left. And Jesus turns towards them and goes, you don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know. And here's the thing is the verb structure of that is we work through this, we process this, and this is where we've landed. We believe that you are the Holy One of God. So you're right. You can find things wrong here. You can find things to be critical of and say you're not doing it right and you should be better than you are. You're right. There are a lot of people in this room representing all kinds of beliefs and lifestyles that you don't agree with. And we do things and say things that we shouldn't do and say. But the main question is, where else do you want us to go? What do you want us to do? See, if people don't have a chance to hear from Jesus and what he says is truth and is better and some space and some time and not pressure to work it out in their lives, where else are they going to find that? Who else can help? In other words, as Peter said, if there's ever going to be a change in my life, where are you going to point me if not towards Jesus? Listen to what Paul writes to another church in a town called Corinth. And I, I would go to this church. 
There's a lot of churches I wouldn't, I'm not going to that church. I would go to this church. He starts with the truth because just because, just because we're gracious and we're honest about we make mistakes, that doesn't mean we back off of the truth here at all. And neither does Paul. He says this. He says, do you not know? In other words, you know. You know, right? I mean, you came in here knowing some truth, right? Do you not know that the wicked or sinners will not inherit the kingdom of God? We talk about this all the time. If there's sin in your life, it, it separates you from God. It separates you from the people that you, that, that you love. It's just, it's just true. Sin separates us from God. He says, so don't be deceived. Don't lie to yourself. Don't try to pretend like this isn't true. He says, don't be deceived. Here's the truth. Neither the sexually immoral, so here's God's plan for our sexual purity. Sexual immorality is anything outside of that. Nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers. None of them will inherit the kingdom of God. If you have sin in your life, you've got a problem. You're cut off from God. But look at this next verse. That sounds really pessimistic. But look at the next verse. It says this. And that is what some of you... What's the word? Were. were. Past tense. That's what some of you were. But you were washed. It all got washed away. And you were sanctified. And sanctified means you were made holy. It's that switch in the sheets we talked about a few weeks ago. All right? All the sin went on Jesus. All his goodness went on you. And you were justified. That's a legal term. I find you not guilty. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of what he did for us, and by the Spirit of our God. Now think about that. Logically, if, that's, if Paul's writing a letter and says, that's what some of you were, that means that anybody who God had changed in that church had to be allowed to be a part of that church before there was any change, right? And that means that that church was still full of people who weren't sure if they believed anything about Jesus. I'm not sure that's who he is or not, but I'm just here trying to figure it out. That room was full of people who hadn't changed anything in their life or didn't even know that anything needed to change in their life. Or, I know some stuff needs to change and I'm working on it. I just keep screwing it up. That's that church. You know what? That's us. Right? That, that, that describes us. So, this week is Thanksgiving and I'm really, really thankful. And here's what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful I get to be a part of a church community that teaches truth and grace, but is also honest that we fall short of both. We do. All churches fall short of it. All churches are are full of people like that. They're just afraid. We're honest about it. We are people like that. And we also believe that he who started working in us will keep working in us. I think that explains a lot. I'm thankful I get to be a part of a church community that opens its doors really, really wide to everyone. A church that points people towards God, but doesn't try to replace God or be God to anybody. A place where you can belong and call this home before you change anything about your belief system. I'm thankful to be a part of a church community that doesn't think it can change the whole world, but that's no excuse not to try to make a difference in a little corner of it. I'm thankful that the heartbeat of this place is all about Jesus. My prayer is that we'll always be known as a place that loves people like Jesus loves people. Can can I tell you, you, you know what my biggest fear is about moving across the street in a couple months? I'm afraid it'll change us. That we'll become known as, oh, that's that big church with the big building. You know, it's actually possible for a church to be ruined by success. You ever been there? I, I've been a part of that. I'd much rather be known as the, that's the church of the, the people who are honest. They, they admit that they're messy people, but they, they lean on this thing called grace. They're forgiven, but they're still a little rough around the edges. A lot of rough around the edges, Right? They also believe that God's not done with them. 
and he's working on it. A, a few years ago, uh, a magazine called and wanted to do an article on flat irons. It cracks me up. The, the title of the article was The Church of Me Too. And in that article, they called us the Church of Misfit Toys. And I'm okay with that. Jesus was constantly being accused of being a misfit. I'd much rather be known for that than the church with the big fancy building full of people who think they're better than other people and are perfect. And we are not. But for others to know that and to know that misfits are always welcome here, we have to constantly remind ourselves that it always has been and it always must stay about Jesus. Because bottom line, folks, we owe him everything. We owe him everything. And if Jesus had not done what he did, if he not paid it all, then none of us has a chance. So I'm done. We're going to take communion together. And here's why. Um, Jesus knows us pretty well, and he knows there's going to be drift in our belief system. Meaning, you know, we're, we're going to, Jesus, will you come into my life? Will you forgive my past? And will you help me become the man and woman? And, and will you forgive me? And, and we'll believe that, but then we'll start drifting back towards, but don't I need to do something to pay him back? Or don't I have to meet him halfway? Or if I, here's a big one, like Scott talked about last week, but if I mess up, doesn't that mean he takes it away? Let me just clarify this one more time, all right? Jesus paid it all, and all translates all, everything. He paid for everything. Because if we had to pay for ourselves, we don't have a chance. So he knew he'd forget that a lot. So he had this idea called communion. And right before he was, he was executed, he got his 12 remaining friends, 11, really, one left, and, and said, all right, listen, everybody take a piece of bread, and everybody take a, a little drink of wine, and this will make sense Friday, but here's what it means. I want you to remember that I'm going to pay everything for you, and that you're totally forgiven, not because you're good or not because you're sorry, but because of what I'm about to do on a cross for you, and all you have to do is lean your life against me. And whenever you start to forget that, take a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice and remember, you're forgiven. So it's Thanksgiving week. Our first Thanksgiving meal is going to be this time of communion together. Just to tell God thank you. And if you're not comfortable with this, all right, going, I don't, I, I'm not, I don't do this, all right? Just let that tray go right on by. But if you came in here going, I don't even know if I believe in Jesus, but I think I do, then take up bread and juice, all right? Um, it's his gift to us. Let's pray. So God, I love you so much. And I am thankful. Top of the list, I'm thankful for you because without you, I'm the worst sinner of all. And I thank you for what you've already done in my life. And I think I'm kind of echoing a thousand people in this room. I thank you for what you've done in my life, what you're doing in my life. And, I, and I'm so glad to hear today that you're not finished with me. That this is not as good as it gets. But you're going to keep on doing some stuff in my life and in my heart, in my family, in my habits. That when I fall down, you don't disqualify me, but you actually pick me up and say, I, I forgave that. Let's keep going. For that, I'm thankful. And that's why I'm going to take communion right now. I'm thankful for, uh, for this church. Honestly, God, I've about given up on your church. Because I've seen churches talk about stuff and then turn around and treat people horrible. I just don't want to be that church. I want to be this one. I love what you're doing in this place. And I had to go 7,000 miles away and stand in a two-room house with a little girl that I don't even know her name to be reminded that it's all about you. And so this place has to stay about you. So thank you for everybody you've brought into this place. I pray that, that Thursday as we sit down to a meal, that we'll just quietly whisper a prayer of, thank you for your son Jesus above everything else because everything else that's happened in my life it would be a disaster without you. So I love you. In Jesus' name.
Amen.